playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of On The Board Podcast. My name is Colby McKee. Across from me is Mr. Lance Dahl. Hello! It's a two-man podcast. Once again this week, our good it friend is. Jesse couldn't make it this week. So. I know. I know. He's uh, he's tied up with, you know, life. The last few, yeah, the last few uh, finishing pieces on his house. So good luck to Jesse. Hopefully we'll have him back next week. Mm-hmm. And instead, we're going to power on with some sports talk. Uh, and we're going to start on the diamond MLB. Uh, we talked last week about the trade trade deadline uh, prospects. I want to dive into one specifically because we're in Canada, because we're in Medicine Hat. Marcus Stroman is an interesting uh, asset for the Blue Jays ahead of a busy few weeks. Well, it's only we're less than a week away from the trade de- trade deadline. Yeah, next Wednesday. And uh, he's an interesting asset. Whether they decide to keep him or is he a foregone conclusion that he's gone? I. I assume that he's traded. He it's should just a be, matter right? of time. I'm surprised, honestly, that he hasn't been traded yet. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. But I, I don't see him being back exactly by next Wednesday. I, I feel like if they were going to give him a long term a long term extension, it would have already happened. Uh, I Probably. think that the upper brasses are waiting on the best deal possible. Maybe waiting for contenders. Uh, to submit their best bids, which is a kind of a risky game because you always worry about injury. You look at Zach Wheeler with the yeah. Mets and how uh, he sustained an injury, basically killed all of his trade value. So if you wait any longer on Stroman, the potential to get injury uh, is right there. And he's a, he's an interesting case study because there's a lot of talk about his, his attitude, his persona, uh, the way he is on the mound, the way he interacts with uh, the Toronto media, especially on Twitter, because he's been going after Toronto media the last couple of days I've been seeing. And people are defending him because they want to go back to those glory days of the Bautistas and the Encarnacions and the Donaldsons. And he was a part of that. Yeah. And they think that he can withstand the young core that's going to be coming up through the ranks. Yeah. He's an asset right right now to turn into something down the road with more term. Exactly. And that's what I think a lot of people have a hard time grasping, a lot of Jays fans. And... You know, you can make an argument that he should stay. You can make an argument that he should be traded. But, I mean, there's there's no sense debating back and forth. It's pretty apparent that the Jays are trying to move him. Uh, Whether he moves on his own or whether he moves in a package with Ken Giles, that kind of remains to be seen. But, yeah, we all, I think, can say with some certainty that it's a foregone conclusion by next Wednesday he'll be traded somewhere. At this point, it's just a matter of where. I don't know that teams are necessarily... Sending in their best offers, I think they already have. Yeah, I, you think, think so? I think a lot of best offers have already been sent in. I think it could come to desperation mode, though. Yeah. The later we get into this, where if some bigger names, like we mentioned, a Trevor Bauer or a Syndergaard or a Granke, those guys, the teams that miss out on those teams, uh, those pitchers, excuse me, start up in the ante saying we need a starter, we need a front of the line starter, or even a middle of the pack if you're a playoff contender. Yeah, like it, it, none of these teams are getting Marcus Stroman to be their number one. No, and so the the players that you mentioned are more number one esque. Like Syndergaard isn't going to move. Granke, I don't think is going to move. Um, Stroman comes in and he can be like a, a number two or a number three. Yeah, and he he fills out a rotation in a way that you really need when you get into playoffs. Uh, where you know that you're going to get five, maybe six quality innings, just enough to get you into your bullpen, right? And that's why I think a lot of teams 
or a lot of people rather, keep linking him to the Yankees just because the Yankees' bullpen is so deep yep. that they really just need someone to get you to five innings and then from there. But I think if you're the Jays, and I, I think I said it last week, you still want to ship him or Giles or both to Atlanta. Like You want to move to Atlanta to, to get some of their pitching prospects back. I think six of their top ten uh, prospects in the organization are pitchers. So yeah. th- there's a lot of depth there that Atlanta has to use as leverage that I'm not sure Houston or the Yankees, for the case of Stroman, necessarily have. Whether or not that makes a huge difference, I don't know, because like we, we don't know what's out there, right? We don't know what offers have gone back and forth. We don't know what conversations ha- have happened. So it's, it's really hard to know. Um, but yeah, I think those are your three teams for Stroman, the Yankees, Astros, and Braves. It's just a matter of who and when. Yeah, the key word, I mean, assets and the 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 earnest to actually trade an asset like a Stroman, like a Giles, because they in the past, and it's not this front office that blew the Josh Donaldson potential trade before he had to either sign a deal or be left alone in free agency. Encarnacion, uh, Encarnacion walked. Yep. Bautista, he obviously didn't sign that $100 million contract like he was wanting. He had to come back for a one-year deal. But in the past, they've blown an, an opportunity to trade assets at the most valuable time to continue building around a, a future core. Yeah. So I think as a if you're a Blue Jays fan, you want Stroman to be traded. You kind of blew it on Sanchez because his value has not been any lower than it is right now. Yeah. He is struggling. I mean, that he's interesting because I think there's still a market. I think there's still a market for a guy that you know can give you a couple innings. Like, granted, he's been awful, right? But yeah. when you get into playoffs, and if you're bringing in an Aaron Sanchez for two or three innings, like, and I've said this for a while, I've always thought that Aaron Sanchez's stuff belongs in the bullpen. Okay. He has two, maybe three plus pitches. His fastball is like plus plus. Yes. But it's just a matter of whether the Jays want to make that move as well. Because then I think you have more of an uproar. Like I, I don't think Sanchez goes anywhere, but I think teams are going to call on him. But if he goes and Stroman goes, let alone Freddie Galvis and or Eric Sogard, and uh, there, there's a handful of others, Daniel Hudson in the bullpen, Ken Jaws we touched on, there's a handful of guys that could be traded. But uh, if Sanchez and Stroman both go, I think the Jays fan base is going to have a very hard time accepting it. A thousand percent. Whether or not it's right or wrong, but I think that if you can find some value for Sanchez, you you might want to take it because I don't think the Jays are prepared to look at Sanchez as a bullpen guy. No, I don't think so either. And they need they right. need arms. They're picking up Wilmer Font. Wilmer who's, Font, who's going to give supposedly going to give them some outings. But I I've heard a lot on talk radio and whatnot, but. If you are going to trade Stroman, part of that package, along with prospects and whatever the case may be, but just kind of some live arms to fill the rest of this year to make it at least somewhat competitive because you're throwing the the downside of all these starters and these established guys getting traded for assets is you're bringing up kids in really bad situations for them. They're getting lit up. Their confidence is going down the drain, like in the case of... uh, the guy, the guy name escapes me, but he had to drive seven hours to make his start in Boston Thomas against Panone yeah. against Chris Sale the other day. Lasted four innings, but then he got lit up. And he just like they're putting these kids in potentially really bad situations that could hurt them down the line. I, but that's that's what a rebuild is. You're, you're not going to get to be able to put your players in good situations. That's just the fact of the matter. You're, you're gonna. I look at it the complete other way. I think. 
as the Jays, you should be running out those guys. Why, what's the problem with giving them the experience of pitching on a big league mound for half a season, right? Like, you get them out there, you get them accustomed to what they're going to face, and sometimes that learning curve can serve you well because, let's face it, they're probably three years from realistically being competitive. If you're giving those young guys these opportunities, who knows, like maybe they figure something out and in three years down the road, they're they're, they're more, I guess, seasoned in the MLB. Like I think if you're trading Stroman, Giles, whoever it may be, I would love for them to be getting guys that are two or three years away. Yeah. I don't think they should be getting guys that are like live arms because that's just decreasing the value of the package you're getting back. I guess so, yeah. Like I would rather you just go out and trade for guys that have an ETA of like 2022 the class A guys even yeah. like little double A's like just a project exactly like, and like high, highly prospect but like you said years away exactly like like it's it's tough to to project those guys and I get that but I, I think that's something that they got to do and, and this is going to be probably one of the biggest weeks in in Jay's franchise history because if they turn these players they have as assets into good packages that perform three, four years down the road, this franchise is going to be shaped completely differently than if they get a couple busts. So That's a big statement because you consider the World Series championships and the AL runs they've had in years past. Like To say that this could be a turning point in yeah. a franchise uh, that has won in the past, it's, it's a big statement. And you're, you're completely right. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. It could be a very busy weekend uh, for the Blue Jays, among all of the other teams that are trading oh, uh, yeah. established stars uh, for some picks and prospects and, and futures and stuff yeah. like that. Like, there's a bunch of different stuff that's going on. Uh, I saw that the Philadelphia Phillies lost Tommy Hunter, reliever for uh, like it was like flexor surgery. Okay, and so the Phillies might be out on the market now for a reliever because they're kind of in the middle of a battle. Uh, a lot of stuff. If you want to follow like blue or not Blue Jays, sorry, but uh, all MLB rumors and, and potential trades, go follow John Morosi. He does work for MLB Network. Great insider. Just, oh my gosh. The amount of stuff that he's cranked out today alone, like with the Detroit Tigers shopping Shane Green and they're asking the Washington Nationals for their top prospect, Carter Kaboom. Okay. Who's uh, a shortstop, which is funny enough because Trey Turner's Trey there. Trey Turner's right there, yeah. Um, so so maybe that works. I doubt it because it's still Shane Green. Um, but <laughs> well, let's just face it, he's Shane Green. He's but been decent this year, sure, he, No, he hasn't been bad. He hasn't been yeah. bad. But uh, like Morosi was also saying that the Rays were reaching out to the Giants about a reliever. I would assume Will Smith. Yep. I, I would guess. And... And then he also mentioned that Bumgarner might not be dealt because of the Giants' push where they're, they've won like 11 of their last 14 games. Oh, man. And I'm like, the That's- Giants need to realize who and, and what they are. Like, I get it. They're playing well. They're above 500. They might even be second in their division. I don't know, and I honestly don't care. Right. Because the San Francisco Giants aren't very good. That's the problem with the wild card and the, the added ability to potentially get a, a home, not a home playoff date, but uh, the opportunity to advance to more playoff gates. So for owners, uh, in the owner's mind, more money, more revenue. Right. You, you have to go for it if but you have to have any close. You have to have some semblance of self-awareness where you're like, the cupboards yeah, we're, are bare. We're, we're still the Giants. <laughs> like you, you should still be trading Baumgartner. And if they don't, that's a similar comparison to Josh Donaldson not getting moved when the Jays opted not to move him. Uh, some other interesting ones, Charlie Blackman. Apparently has been called about. Really? 
Again, according to John Morosi, people have called about Charlie Blackman. What? I, I, that's not a deadline deal to me. That's that's a, that's, that's an a winter season, deal. That's an off season move. Holy but cow! If they're if they're talking about it, it, wouldn't surprise me if I don't know the Padres went and got <laughs> Charlie Blackman because that's what they do in the off season. Uh, I've heard you, a lot of talk about Kirby Yates in yeah. terms of relievers. Uh, he's a he was the best. Uh, arguably in the game this year. Yeah, he's uh, the best reliever right now. So he would be, if they could turn him into a haul, if they really feel like this playoff push isn't going anywhere with the guys they brought in in the off, in the off season, that could be a, a quite a haul for, for a guy like Yates. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, if they do want to move off of Kirby Yates, if they try and get, excuse me, that top of the line starter. Because, let's face it, they don't have it. Yeah, they definitely they need don't. that. But if they get one now... And they're ready for next year because like it, it feels weird to say, but I feel like the Padres are actually close now. Okay, <laughs> like like I look at their t- well, we they always make these moves in the off season. And you're like, wow, they're going to be good, and they disappoint mm-hmm. you. And they're kind of doing that right now. Even though two weeks ago I thought they're going to be re- like going on a run. That's and, right. <laughs> well, surprised they haven't because they're the freaking Padres. <laughs> but I, I think they're legitimately close. And so if you're the Padres and you're shopping Kirby Yates. I don't know that you can get a top arm just because if you're trading them to a team that's in it, they're not going to move a top arm back, right? Right, yep. But if there's a way, and I don't know why Cleveland would do it, but if they're going to move Trevor Bauer, and if you're able to get Kirby Yates in there for Bauer, I know they already have Brad Hand, Mm -hmm. but we've already talked about how relievers are huge when it comes to the playoffs and having bullpen depth. It is. And they've done it before, the, the Indians have with Brad Hand and Andrew Miller. Yeah, it was a deadly. That yeah. that uh, back of the bullpen was deadly. So if they want to go down that road again and do like a Brad Hand and a Kirby Yates, because there's no doubt in my mind that the Indians are going to make the playoffs. Yeah, like I'm convinced they're going to make the locking playoffs. locking it in. I'm convinced they're still going to beat Minnesota for the division. Wow. Like, because Cleveland, if they move off of Bauer and get Yates back, it doesn't hurt them that much. And Kluber's slowly coming back at some point, you hope. Sounds like middle of August. Yeah, that's an interesting interesting dilemma. And like, a, it's a good dilemma to have. If, it's an abundance of riches if you're Cleveland with all these this depth at various positions. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're the Padres, that might be something that you want to look at. But probably the most interesting free agent to me right now is Mike Miner, which is a name that I would say 75% of baseball fans have never heard before. You brought him up last week. Yeah, yeah last he, week, he's... Yeah. It's fascinating to me, and uh, I, I was sitting around earlier today, and I did a bunch of digging, and you and Jesse both know I like stats because you numbers do. never lie, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so here's the deal. Can I run you through a bunch of different numbers? I would love to hear it. Okay, so his numbers this season are the best as a starter in his con- entire career. There was one year when he was in Kansas City that he was a reliever, but like pitching to a 2.86 ERA, a whip just over 1.1, and uh, 131 strikeouts in 129 innings. He has the highest war of his entire career in, in like a season, which is wins above replacement. It's essentially the best way to figure out how valuable a pitcher is. It's one of the advanced metrics that teams will use. Not only is his war of 6.1 the best in his career so far, it's also the best in baseball. Really? And when you think there's Hyunjin Ryu having an outstanding year, Max Scherzer doing Max Scherzer things. I mean, Shane Bieber has been another one. Trevor Bauer, there's a bunch of great arms. Yeah. And Mike Miner have the has best of the them all. Best war, <laughs> so that's wild. Like, 
It, like last year, for example, he was a 3.7, which is his second closest total to the 6.1. So he's pitching way over his head. Yes. Like that's what the numbers would say. Can that continue going forward? Well, if you're the Rangers, you can sell that. You can. You can easily sell that. And the other number that's wild is it's called adjusted ERA. And so essentially what it does is it takes your stats, your numbers, but it bases them off of the ballparks that you play in. And so it's a better way of figuring out how good a pitcher really is regardless of if they pitch at Petco or whatever. it's Maybe it's still called Petco in San Diego. Again, who cares? <laughs> or if they're pitching in Toronto. And so his adjusted ERA is 177. That's incredible. Now, yeah, that's really good because 100 is average. Like if you are 100, you're an average pitcher. Okay. The higher up you go, the more impressive you are. His 177 is fifth in the MLB. It's insane. And in the past seven seasons, his highest adjusted ERA was just 117. <laughs> the only time he got close to that one was when he was a reliever in Kansas City. But what I'm trying to say is yeah. he's pitching way over his head, but holy shit, the Rangers could actually turn this into quite a haul. That's incredible. Because honestly. The team, like players have these moments. We saw it with Sanchez when he led the league in ERA. We yep. saw it. I, I mean, I, I hate that I'm even bringing him up. Rick Porcello, he wanted <laughs> fucking Cy Young. Somehow, That's for you, Jesse. I don't That's know. I don't know how he won a Cy Young, but <laughs> in comparison to his career numbers, he threw no. way better that year. So yeah. I, I feel like with his periphery numbers and with his stats that everyone somewhat understands, ERA, whip, strikeouts to walks. It's the advanced. Exactly. Putting him up way above everybody it's insane. in his category. And so I don't know where he goes, but he's moving somewhere, and I would be stunned if the Rangers don't get an amazing haul for him. That will be like quite... He's, he's fascinating to me. That will be quite a show. Uh, like I said, trade deadline coming up in just over a week on the 31st, I believe. Yeah. So uh, next week, we will dive even more into the trade deadline. Quickly, to wrap up the baseball talk, the Hall of Fame weekend just wrapped up on Sunday. Uh, star-studded class, including the first, uh, what, unanimous? Yep. First-time unanimous in Mariano Rivera. We had the late Roy Halladay, Mike Wusina, Edgar Martinez... And then uh, Lee Smith and Harold Baines also joined that class. Uh, terrific class. Loved watching Rivera and obviously Doc Holliday. Even in those bad years in Toronto, he was always a highlight every fifth day on the mound. Yeah, and his wife Brandy put a, a nice speech together. Tough, emotional, but a very, very impressive class for uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, does Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens ever get in before we move on? Just quickly. Uh, yes, I say yes. Uh, does Jeter become the second unanimous pick next year in the 2020? Yes. Okay. We'll, yes, he does. We'll wait and see. Uh, switching over to the ice, the game of hockey. There's the ice. The ice. Although there's probably not curling. ice in the... <laughs> that's true. It could be curly. There's probably not ice... <laughs> the sport of curling. ...in the old Saddle Dome right now up in Calgary. Mm-hmm. But Calgary's been a talk... Uh, a source of talk the last week. Uh, first off, we'll start with the new arena yeah. being project, uh, presented to city council today. Or no, sorry, yes, yesterday. It was Monday. Mm-hmm. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, there's talk of a new arena, and that's uh, great uh, if you're a Flames fan. It's been a long time coming, and hopefully everything goes smooth and according to plan. Yeah, I wrote down a bunch of notes basically pinpointing exactly what the deal is. So bear with me. There's There's a handful of it, but... 
it's all pretty pertinent information. Now, I got this all off of CBC. Uh, you can go read for yourself what's all there. Uh, 19,000 seat arena, and both the city of Calgary and the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, also known as CSEC, are going to split the money. So it's $275 million for each of them. Now, it, it's interesting because in 2017, when they were talking about a new arena, um, this is $50 million more that'll be spent by the city than the deal that was offered in 2017. Okay. Um, it's a 35-year agreement where CSEC is vowing not to move the Calgary Flames. The city will own the arena and the land, and uh, Calgary Sports and Entertainment are going to pay 100% of operating, maintaining, and day-to-day costs. Uh, the city will get 2% of ticket revenue at all events in the building. They'll mm. also get a facility fee capped at $3 million a year uh, through the first five years. So they're going to get some money back uh, on that as well. The CSEC is going to give $1.5 million a year to community sports in Calgary. They're also going to pay the city $2.5 million over 10 years for the naming rights. And they're going to create a community engagement program uh, for around $200,000 a year. That's not it. There's a bunch more. Wow. So we're halfway through my notes. <laughs> oh, God. Property taxes aren't going to increase, so people don't got to freak the fuck out. Uh, the city and the Calgary Stampede are also going to swap pieces of land because the uh, proposed spot for it is literally in the same area as the Saddle Dome is now, just south of it and just beside Cowboys, basically in the parking lot that's there right now. Uh, the city's portion of the $275 million bucks is going to come from a few spots. I saw a lot of people freaking out that uh, the city is also um, talking about cutting the operating budget in Calgary, which is for fire, police, and transit. Yeah. They're talking about cutting that $60 million. Um, it, it's been reported and said that that money will not be used to pay for the arena. Okay. The, the main source will be the city's major projects capital reserve. Essentially, cities just hold a fuck ton of money for things like this. That's what's going on. Uh, the city's going to pay 90% of demo. Uh, the flames will pay 10%. Shovels are expected to go on the ground 2021. The ring should be up by 2024. And uh, the ratification for the expected new arena uh, when they vote on it is expected early next week. So the shovels are... I was really surprised. I thought the shovels might go in the ground as early as next spring, but they're saying right. 2021. 2021 is okay. when they're calling for it, and that that's the proposal anyway. And I also... I, I for, Forgive me, I didn't write down the tweet. I was, I was watching uh, Tim and Sid earlier today, and they had a tweet up there about how someone quoted the city of Calgary saying they were going to be on time and on budget. And I was like, no, that's no, probably not. Probably not. They're probably going to do neither, but it's fine. Uh, it's exciting times. Now, uh, I guess the next conversation people will start to have, if this goes through next week, will be what about McMahon? Yeah, potentially That'll be the next that's conversation. The, that's the next big, uh, infrastructure agreement to be mm-hmm. made. Uh, also sticking with the flames. Yeah, that was a lot of, of info. Calgary. It was a lot. All of it's good. It sounds like all of those numbers, giving back to the community. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I guess, ticket prices, kind of like we have here at the Canelta Center, they got a facility fee and a processing fee and all that good jazz. Yeah. Just to make money back in the building. So they you figure pay, like the city's going to make back over the 35 years, $400 million. Yeah. So in theory, they're making money. That's what they project anyway. If they spend the 275 mil, whatever, they're expecting to make right around roughly a hundred million dollars. Keep buying those eight dollar dome beers, or I guess whatever. Hell the, yeah, whatever the. They're gonna uh, go up to thirty bucks in the yeah, new ring. The new arena. Uh, yeah, with the flames. There's also a trade to discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, a swap of basically the same contract and a total of thirteen goals between the two players. James Neal goes to Edmonton, and Milan Lucic heads south to Calgary. Yeah. As a Flames fan, we're both Flames fans. Yeah. 
I'll start. Yeah, I you take the lead because I have more stats. Oh my! I got more numbers. Is I did it, a lot of work today, it, but I appreciate it. We know Jesse's not here, but you took over with yeah, those stats. It took a lot of work out today. Uh, Lucic. I don't know. Does, do the Flames expect him to jump on a line with Goudreau and Monaghan to provide the toughness and a little bit more, what, I don't know, not even leadership, but just a, a little bit more grit than Neil was supposed to do heading into last year because he was signed uh, in the hopes of potentially being on the first line with those two. He said as much in press conferences leading up to the season. Mm-hmm. He just never, he wasn't physically, mentally prepared, I guess, and he never worked his way back up to the top line. Yep. He definitely underperformed. Lucic coming in, he had a terrible season, obviously, yep. and he couldn't keep up with the speed of McDavid was basically the the, the, the point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up with the creativity and the speed of those two because your second line is basically set, albeit if Kachuk comes back and they form that that Triple M line again. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I mean, it's a, it's a basically a swap of of contracts, and hopefully a fresh start helps Lucic. Hopefully, he comes in better than he's ever been. But I have a little bit of hesitation, and I was not a big fan of this when I heard it. Yeah, um, I, I mean, both teams I'm expecting still to make deals. Like the, the Flames need to clear more caps. That's one hundred percent correct. Yeah, I don't know when or or what they're gonna do, but right now they're projected just under ten million dollars in cap space. Uh, yeah, that guy Matthew Kachuk needs to get signed. Oh wait, so does Mangiapane. Oh, there's Sam Bennett. <laughs> Shocking. Oh wow, David Riddick still doesn't have what a contract. What are we gonna do? Okay, so we got a lot of ha- a lot of contracts that the Flames still need to hammer out. And I mean, the Oilers for for. I guess more or less are, are pretty well taken care of. The only one that they don't have finished up yet is Jesse Pugliarvi. Whether or not he even comes back, no one really knows. Yeah. Um, but they do have like $2.4 million-ish in, in cap space. Who knows, Pugliarvi might even just come back on a one-year $2 million deal or something like that. Uh, so it, it's hard to say where exactly both of these guys are going to fit in their respective lineups for their, their respective new teams because I, I still expect some movement to happen. Maybe not so much... In Edmonton, it might be easier to find where Neal is going to slot in. And I think a lot of people have this expectation, like they did in Calgary, that James Neal is going to fit in on the top two lines. Which, I guess, in theory, makes a little bit of sense. They need scoring help on the wing. So for their aspect, I think this is probably a goldmine for them. They think they hit the... Oilers fans think they won this trade, and I would tend to agree with them. And that's the popular opinion. They They got out of a contract from a guy they never thought they'd get out of. And they didn't have to use prospects or picks to move it. Uh, they also, and I think both teams might fall into this, where they move both teams move the player that they got a little bit tired of. Yep. Um, James Neal, maybe not so fairly because he did come off back to back pretty deep playoff runs, and admittedly was a little worn out, a little out of shape. Um, so it, it's easy to say that the expectation and the thought would be that well, the Oilers won the trade because they got James Neal. But depending on how you look at these players and what they're going to do, you may have a a different opinion. Like, I don't necessarily think that the Flames lost a trade. But I went and broke it down from the last four years. And I picked the last four because that was when Milan Lucic left Boston. Okay. And a lot of people said as soon as Lucic left Boston, he kind of regressed a little bit. He wasn't the same player, wasn't as good. And so over the last four years, Milan Lucic has put up 159 points. He has 59 goals and 100 assists. That's three points less than James Neal over the same four-year period. The only difference is that Neal has scored 27 more goals. Is that right, eh? Right. Wow. 27 more goals. 
The points aren't that far off. I'm surprised at the points being yeah. so similar. Now, the, also, the other difference is that Lucic has been a little bit more uh, durable. He's played almost 40 more games okay. in that stretch than <laughs> well, James then. Neal. But the points per game really aren't far off. Like, James Neal is at .57 points per game, and Milan Lucic is just under .50 points per game. So they're really, like, over a long period of time when you extrapolate it, even if you want to condense it into a season, it's not that far off. That's why we saw... I think partly why we saw both players put up similar amounts of points in these past seasons. Now, this is when it gets kind of funny. James Neal's shooting percentage last year, or in those last four years, rather, was Mm 10.6. Milan Lucic was (laughs) 11.3. So when Milan Lucic shoots the puck, he's actually doing better. Milan Lucic had less than one shot a game last year. Because he was too busy trying to bury people in the corner. Well, I don't really know or what he keep was keep up doing. with his speed. I don't know. But if you want to get into advanced stats a little bit, everyone looks at Corsi. Corsi essentially is just a possession statistic, which says the percentage of the time that your team has the puck when you're on the ice. If your Corsi is really high, that's a good thing. If it's low, that means you're playing a lot in your own end. James Neal's Corsi, out of Power play, penalty kill minutes, everything over the last four years is 57.7%. And Milan Lucic is actually almost 1% higher at 584 And so you dive into these numbers just a little bit more and you realize that they're really not that far off as players. And then you go into playoffs. I mean, they've literally played damn near the exact same amount of games. Lucic has 10 more games over his career in playoffs than James Neal. One, Neal has 104. Lucic has 114. And when you look at it, like Lucic is still essentially the same player. The only difference is his points per game goes up in the playoffs by almost a tenth. Whereas uh, Neil, his points per game actually goes down. His shooting percentage drops from 10.6 over the last four years of the regular season. His career playoff shooting percentage is under 9%. Okay. What I'm trying to say with all these numbers is that it's really not that different. Yeah. The only difference is that James Neal scores more goals, and that's what the Oilers are looking for is goal scoring. So that's why Neal is going to service them a whole lot better. Now, if you're looking at what Milan Lucic can do for the Flames, the Flames needed toughness. Right. And anyone will agree that Milan Lucic is a hell of a lot tougher than James Neal. James Neal plays a tough game. He gets in the corners, but Milan Milan Lucic, from an intangible standpoint, is way tougher of a dude. (laughs) Let's just face it. he, He is. I think uh, stats guy, stats man is now your new nickname. I think you may have even persuaded me a little bit. I'm just breaking it down. That's, that's simply just numbers because we have this negative opinion of Milan Lucic because of his time in Edmonton, which I hate to say, but that's almost where it's come from. It's a dungeon no really, of a place. No one really ripped on him when he was in L.A. for a season, right? And so no. when you look at the numbers, they're really not that far off. So I think depending on what your expectations are for Neil and for Lucic, that'll determine who you think won, is, the won the trade. They're both 31 years old. They both have four years left on their contract, and both of their monies, like we mentioned, are virtually the same. So they're And all these stats you just provided basically yeah, show sorry, that... That was a lot again. That's a lot of... That's okay. We, Rewind that. I'm sure everybody will love the stats, but, but they're virtually the same person. We'll see how it plays out come September and October. The only thing is that if Lucic gets bought out, it's worse. That's true. He has a worse buyout for four more years of that contract. So uh, we'll switch over to the hard court quickly. Just get some basketball talk in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tim Duncan, the Mr. Fundamental, signed on as as an assistant coach with San Antonio. Makes sense, right? Under uh, Greg Popovich. And the U.S. basketball team has kind of been making the waves the last few days, at least on my end. 
they're having players drop out left, right, and center, and they're still going to be okay come the FIBA World Cup in late August. Uh, You don't think there's a chance anyone can beat them? Not at all. They can make three teams. You think so? With the amount of talent coming out of the U.S., it's incredible. It's just, it's crazy to think that the U.S. team, as of right now, only has three all-stars from the NBA on their roster. Right. Like, there's Kemba, uh, Chris Middleton, and Kyle Lowry, and Lowry's not even confirmed to play because he had thumb surgery. Right. So he might be down to two. And then, I mean... But, okay, the... I'm just saying. The so-called bench of that U.S. team Mm -hmm. stacked up against a Serbia or an Australia who may have a uh, one or two NBA players on their bench. Yeah. Well, Australia doesn't even get Ben Simmons. That's true. (laughs) Which is tough. And uh, so it's crazy to see all these people dropping out and they're calling it, you know, they're saying it's uh, to focus on the upcoming season and the fact that there's no clear cut favorite title favorite going into next year. People are wanting to get the systems in and work with their teammates. And so I get that. And people who haven't signed contracts per se, uh, but the fact that they could lose all these guys and still be considered the favorite is absolutely mind-numbing. Yeah, yeah. The tournament will kick off the end of August. Um, For Canada's, I guess, worry and consideration, the top two teams from essentially the Western Hemisphere, which includes like us, uh, the Caribbean, and uh, like South America, and like North and South America, the top two teams go into the Olympics. Yes. So it's huge for Canada, and I think... Like I really hope this becomes close as a World Cup tournament, and I have a feeling it's going to. I think like, it is. This I, basketball fever isn't going away anytime soon. But I, I think someone is going to give the states a run. Hell, I think someone might even beat the U.S. at least once mm. at the World Cup. Yeah? They got P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker's on their team. I, like I feel I feel better about other teams' odds <laughs> when the U.S., the United States of America, he's, is rostering P.J. Tucker. He's one of 17 to 20. That's going to get cut down to I know, 12, and I it's going to be just fine. Give me a those. little optimism I will. Right now. I will. Um, we, Andre Drummond's on the damn thing. He's a great player. I like uh, him a lot. I don't know. Um, you talked about Canada being part of the, uh, the tournament. Yeah. And they announced their training camp roster last week. Mm-hmm. I really like what they've got. Yep. They're starting five for the first time since ever. Steve Nash in 2000, they could potentially have five NBA starters on their roster. Uh Uh Uh, Their starting five could be all NBA guys, which is incredible to see the growth of basketball and the guys like Jamal Murray, uh, uh, RJ Barrett just nearly drafted to the Knicks. Uh, Tristan Thompson had to bow out, unfortunately. Uh, And the the overwhelming question is, where's Andrew Wiggins? For the next, the the Latin, whatever. All these tournaments, they the Canada's been trying to accomplish to get into these Olympics. Yep, he's been a no show. Yep, and basically they're like, yeah, we're maybe we'll see at the Olympics if we make it there. Yep, I, I out of spite, maybe you don't even invite him if you make it that far. That would be very interesting. That would be very. I'm really looking forward to that. I don't. That's I don't case. know if that basketball Canada has the balls to do it. I don't think so either. But part of me kind of wishes they do because it's different, and we just like you can. Like, name an American basketball player, they're not going to the World Cup. But like you said, they have so much depth that it's different in the States. Whereas in Canada, like, I I would say that we look at sports just as a whole a lot differently. And when you have the opportunity to represent your country, you take it regardless of what sport it is. And so 
for Andrew Wiggins to not be participating like literally at all. No. For anything. Even it's before even before he signed his max contract with the Timberwolves. I get that. Like I said before, if you're trying to get your money, get the get you know, secure That's the bag, I agree with you. But he's got his money. Yeah. His team, I'll be honest with you, probably not making the playoffs. What the hell are you doing? Like what are you he's waiting for? Himself. When are you going to show up and finally play for your country? Yeah, I, I 100% know. agree with you because at one point in time, he was the best Canadian we had. You I don't know if you can even say that anymore. No. With Jamal Murray, um who knows what RJ Barrett's going to be? Yep. Like the young talent coming up in Canada is great to see, and it's good because guys like Andrew Wiggins really piss me off. Yeah, like, I think that's a Canadian thing. The way that we interpret representing your country, like when you have the opportunity, take it. And like you said, like I'll give a pass to guys who are going through family things or trying to get contracts sorted out, whatever it may be. Like those things are important. But when your slate is cleared and you're not going and, and the Lord willing, I hope nothing's going on with, with Andrew Wiggins' family. Right, but it, like, if there's something going on, okay, that's different that we wouldn't know. But if all things are square and he's just saying no. He's not having a kid like Bradley Beal is. Yeah. For the U.S. Like uh-huh. he, he's backing up because he's having a second kid. Yeah. Totally. You need your sleep, bro. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. Isn't that the truth? So uh, it, it's very frustrating. Hopefully Canadians turn up and uh, their roster is secure. And you're right. Maybe they could uh, potentially force I mean, the hand of the they, U.S. team. If there's one thing about Canadian basketball is that over the past handful of years, they've gotten very good internationally. They have. They're they're not a joke anymore. And this could be a big coming out for Team Canada. Hopefully. We shall see. Like you mentioned, end of August when the FIBA World Cup kicks off. FIBA! You know we'll be talking about that heading into uh, Probably. September. So good times. Uh, are straight ahead. Locally, we'll finish off the podcast, not with wrestling, but with some Mavericks talk. Our local boys jumped to 22-20 and 20 on the season. They gained a game. They had a 3-2 and two week this yeah. past week. Not too bad. Uh, t- had some stiff competition. Uh, they lost 2-3 of three to the Okotoks Dogs, but it was very close fashion. Mm-hmm. And then they took their frustration out on the Moose Jaw Mill Express here at home, and it was uh, quite a beating. They didn't get to go to any of the games, but looking at the boss scores, they really took care of business. Well, against Okotoks, what, they lost a couple in extras? I know here was 17 innings. Yeah, it was a marathon like, game. Like that's that's a great sign for a team that started so shitty. Like yeah. let, let's not sugarcoat it. They sucked ass to start the season. <laughs> the Mavericks were bad. And but now they're not bad. Like they've done the last what two, three years. They make this second half push and now they're Figured right out. in the thick of things in that Western division. It is tight. You know it more than I do, but yeah. there's what, three and a half games between second and fifth in that division, all yep. behind Okotoks. Yeah, and they're just a half game back of Lethbridge for second in the West. It would be, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say exponential, but quite a great help if they can finish the season second in the West. I, I think trying to track down Okotoks at this point is... Uh, Maybe a fool's game. Don't worry about trying to secure second. Are you okay over there? You, yeah, you I fall over. May have bumped the microphone. Okay. Hopefully, um, picked that up. <laughs> we're good. But, uh, but yeah, for the Mavs, like if you can secure second place, uh, gives you just a little bit of a better shot when you head into playoffs. Because realistically, I think the season ends in about two weeks. It's super close, and yeah. I don't know how the playoff structure works in the WCLB, whatever. WCBL. The is. CBL. Ah, 
Damn it's it. like the Wimble, but the Wickable. The Wickable. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, they secure a uh, playoff spot in the near future, start resting up, and uh, head to a nice long playoff push. Shout out of the week for my end. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes to a guy that joined the team midseason. He had himself a heck of a week this week. It's PJ Garcia, the shortstop. Yeah. He hit 310 this week with four runs, seven RBIs, two stolen bases, and He's on a 12-game hitting streak, which Pretty is no decent. small feat in all the games that he's played. There's been a couple that he sat out of, but currently 12-game hitting streak. Hopefully I don't jinx it, but good on you, PJ Garcia. You really led the team this week. Yeah, pretty decent when you can roll out of bed for about two weeks and know that you're going to show up to the park and get a hit. Get on base. That, uh, <laughs> that, that'll that give you a little bit of swagger. And he actually, I think he hurt his hamstring. That's why he wasn't here to start the season. Okay. Pretty sure he was out for like the first month because of a, a hamstring problem, but uh no, good to see. Love to see it from the from the Mavs. Fingers crossed they can finish the rest of the season strong, finish second in the West, see what happens. As we speak, they are playing a game in Edmonton. I'm not sure what the score is. Maybe Lancelot can look that up quickly while I rattle through the rest of the schedule. So like I said, tonight in Edmonton, tomorrow in Edmonton, and then uh, a quick road trip out to Swift Current to face the team out in Swift Current, and then back home Friday, Saturday, Sunday at home against the Melville Millionaires for a three-game home set. So uh, quite a busy weekend ahead. Yeah, sorry, I got the I got the uh, schedule pulled up. No, it's okay. Says uh, a 7:05 first pitch at Remax Field, kind of an okay field. Got to be honest. Okay, got turf on the infield. Played there once. It was like September. Oh, tell us about that. It wasn't really a big deal. I I don't think I actually played. Um, (laughs) But it was really cool because they had turf on the infield. But what wasn't cool is that they didn't cut the outfield grass for like two months. What? It was, it was like like the outfielders, you couldn't see their ankles. No Uh, kidding. Yeah. But Remax is a thing. In any case, I'm trying to, I pulled it up on the WCBL website. Yeah. Would you believe there's no score listed? Well, it's that only is, been an hour and a little bit. So maybe. That is such a. Maybe they're under a WCBL rain delay. Who knows? Wow. Come on. Where, why can't I find the Mavericks on Twitter? I'm going. Don't worry. You're going Twitter on the social I'm, media? I'm trying to, but I found. Did you know the Medicine Hat Mavericks have a, recruit, a recruiting page? Excuse me. <laughs> on their uh, on Twitter? At, at Mavs Recruiting. It, okay. It hasn't been active since April 20th of last year, but I just stumbled upon that. So uh, well, that's a thing. Don't uh, d- don't go to that if you want to get As your scores. 12 minutes ago, uh, they were ahead 3-2 in the top of the fifth. All so. right. So halfway through the game, hopefully they pull it out. How I know was the that la- stall job? I know the, <laughs> that was pretty good. Thanks. I know the last time we uh, brought up the score... They ended up losing that yeah, game. Yeah, they got punished. They were up like 3 nothing, and they lost. So mm-hmm. hopefully we're not a, a curse. Maybe we're a blessing. Uh, anything else on this podcast? I think I'm out of out of stuff. Um, we talked a lot. Yeah. Uh, oh, I do have a wrestling thing. Oh, you do now? Yeah. Okay. It was Raw Reunion this week. Okay, I've heard about this from our co-worker Steve Ball upstairs. All I saw was Steve Austin that was just <laughs> fucking smashing beers all over the place. <laughs> that guy's an absolute legend. Good for Absolute him. legend. He's still kicking ass and taking names? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Just runs into the ring. Like, he was the last one to come out from what I saw. They did, like, at the end of the show, all the all the alum came out and were standing on the, uh, the, the runway, side. whatever the hell you want to call it. Okay. The, uh, yeah. I don't the ramp? I, yeah, sure. The ramp. Uh, they were stand- don't ask sounds me. Sounds right. They were standing on the ramp. Ric Flair talked, and then there was this long, awkward wait, and then they Hulk Hogan them. talked, then there was this long, awkward wait, and then the glass shattered, and the, uh, the man we know as Stone Cold came flying out from behind and 
booked it into the ring and he had some fucking beers and was smashing them on people. Then at the end, everyone got into the ring and he was handing everybody a beer. Oh, that's but cool. he was fucking cheers at them all. Yeah. He went to drink his beer and there was none left. <laughs> that guy's an absolute legend. <laughs> like, I want to be... Stone Cold. Did you see any uh, sighting of Hacksaw, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan? No, I, 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 I didn't. Is how, how about Mankind or McFoley? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, of course, he was there. Hacksaw was. Uh, is Hacksaw alive still? <laughs> yeah, of course he is. Oh, he was my uh, he was my dad's favorite wrestler. Oh, so. I really had this bad feeling in my stomach uh, that he had passed away. No, I'm pretty sure they haven't done a memorial for him yet. No, according so. to Google he is still alive and well but uh, yeah, no hacksaw. <laughs> Did see Mick Foley. He okay. actually got mandible clawed oh. by uh, Bray Wyatt who who's going by the Fiend now. I know way that, too much about wrestling. Was this that is, not his finishing move, the, the claw? When or he was, was a mandible claw, something. When he different. was mankind, he would do the mandible claw with the sock. Yeah, Mr. Socko. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you get Mr. Socko out. We apologize. We're not Jesse. We don't know everything and everything. About. I'm impressed with my knowledge. I you feel are, like I agree with you. I feel like I know more than I thought I did. You're a, you're a loyal number two. What else Jesse. was there? Oh, Kelly Kelly was there. Yes. Oh, Kelly Kelly. I've heard of Kelly Kelly. She's wonderful. Good. Good for her. They also had this 24/7 title. It was a thing, but you can just get pinned anywhere at any time. Okay. And then someone else gets the title. It changed hands like nine times last night. Wow. It, yeah, I think R-Truth still has it, though. <laughs> I don't know. It's a stupid title. I actually caught myself. I, I was, like, going through clips. I, I found clips of it, and I caught myself watching this clip of all the times it passed hands. And I was like, why am I watching this? <laughs> Um, but uh, that's my wrestling update. That's all I have because I, okay. I don't know any different. That's good. We appreciate your support Anytime. and your knowledge. You, you, I'm calling you Mr. Statsman. You well, put on one heck of a show today. I tell you what, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. That'll do it for episode eight of On The Board Podcast. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash On The Board Podcast. We're on Twitter at On The Board Pod. Find us on there. I forgot one final thing. <laughs> Follow my picks on Facebook. Yes. We went 2-1 and one again last week. Not great for the parlay, but if you're just straight betting them, you made some more money last week. So we are 4-2 and two after two weeks, a couple 2-1s. We'll do that again on Friday, so keep an eye on our Facebook page for that. For Lance Dahl, I'm Colby McKee. Jesse hopefully is back next week. Thanks so much for finding us. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to On The Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes!